Hey friends, this is Jessica Levity Day Lover, reminding you that you are not alone on the polyamorous path. If you're looking for peer support or coaching on your non-monogamous journey, and you want to work with the day lovers, head to remodeledlove.com and book with us today. I'm so excited and ridiculously nervous, and I am self-aware of how ridiculous it is that I am nervous. And my entire pod's like, shut up and go do the podcast. (laughs) That's so cute that you have the support of your entire polypod. Yeah. Well, I I texted like a half hour ago. I was like, why am I so nervous? And uh, my partner, Scott, just texts back, perfectionism, sweetie. And he was the one I test called. So I'm like, oh, the one who just spent a half hour on a test call with me. (laughs) Yeah, I can't argue. You god damn it. Fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. Remodeled is a project whose goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships in order to include ethical non monogamy, non partnered, asexual, open, and more. We are here to redefine love. Fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. Hey everyone, you're listening to Remodeled, broadcasting from Dream Life Studios here in the basement of our house in Reno, Nevada. I'm your polyamorous mama, Jessica Levity, and with me is my sexy snack of a professor, all dressed up for his first day of college courses today. Well, first day of the semester, he's wearing a blue checkered flannel and the sexy new jeans I got him for Christmas. It's Mr. Daylover. Good evening. Yeah, that you were supposed to come up with something funny i know yeah i totally forgot and then had nothing so like your students <laughs> kind of yeah it works hey today's a really special podcast because we are podcasting with one of your partners my metas it's your side witch lore greetings and salutations lore where are you broadcasting from los angeles california so i apologize in advance if there is a roaming helicopter police siren or otherwise <laughs> i have done everything i can to soundproof my tiny studio apartment but that's it who would have thought you would have ended up in la yeah i did not see that coming for you but it totally fits i mean i did follow a boy yeah like we do like we do speaking of boys we're here to talk about a lot of things i'm hoping we can get it all in one episode i want to start with your identity which is just so unique and fantastic. Then we're going to get into your journey to polyamory, your current polyamorous setup, which required a literal graphic, which you made for us. <laughs> yep. um, you specifically wanted to talk about how different styles of polyamory can be practiced by the same person, which you have found blows even the minds of some polyamorous people. Um, yep. And then in the second half of today's episode, we're going to talk about your work as a death doula, and you're going to pull that into your thoughts on polyamory, which, ugh, I mean, here's my I panties right so now. so yeah. here for this. And then uh, you and I had a chat the other day because I needed some polyamorous anchoring and you showed up for me in that space. And we talked a lot about monogamy brain during NRE. I then did a post on all of our relevant social medias and got a ton of interaction around it uh, with 80% of the people who responded to my poll saying they experience monogamy brain. That's just what I call it. Monogamy brain during NRE. And you are 
one of the 20% who does not experience that. And I'm like, I need to understand this. So that that's going to be our show. Wow. I love it. I'm in. I'm strapped in. Okay. Strapped in and you have your strap on. I can see it in the background. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell everyone listening to Remodeled right now your identity. And everyone, if you're taking notes, you're going to need at least one full piece of college ruled paper for this. Yeah. Maybe a taper. So, <laughs> so my, my big moniker that I just use is queer as my yeah. umbrella term. Yay uh, for that. But, yeah. Because it, it covers most of the bases there, but I am non-binary, which means that some days I am a they, and some days I am a she, and sometimes I am a he, and none of these things happen before coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's what non-binary means for me. It means something different for every person I know, which is part of the fun of it. I, yeah. I'm, I am the child of an American and a South American immigrant. So I'm Latinx and spent my early childhood in Venezuela. So I very strongly identify with the immigrant and Latinx identity. I am demisexual, which that's a newer term that I'm very happy exists. It's asexual light. Basically, I do not experience normal, in quotes, of course, sexual attraction until I have established a base emotional connection with a person. And I, I think a lot of people tend to take that and go, oh, well, then you're, you're just not into hookup culture. Why can't you just say that? And it's more complicated than that, of course, because it's a level of vulnerability that I need. And also there are times in my life where even if I have that established relationship with someone, I still forget that sex is a thing. I just, it just is the last thing on my mind. And then if I develop a new relationship or I get into a mode in which uh, my spouse calls it flipping the switch in which the switch gets flipped, I am an absolute filthy minded terror. (laughs) (laughs) You're just such a fantastic, interesting human being. You're like a character out of a book. So it must be a common experience of yours then to be attracted to someone and you might even be good friends with this person, but you might not think about them sexually. Correct. Yeah. I absolutely experience aesthetic attraction right from the get-go. I can look at somebody and go, wow, that is a beautiful human. And I want to like sketch them or photograph them or just look at how pretty they are in different lights. But I don't want to do anything beyond kissing. I love kissing. Kissing can happen even if I haven't exchanged names yet. That's the best. But it, it doesn't do anything to my nether regions until there's like a level of vulnerability. Yeah, right on. I'm glad you defined that because at first I was like, ooh, that sounds like me. And then as you went on, I was like, no, that's not me. Um, I, but I resonate a lot with I can't do hookup. Cult. I am the person who's like, I can't do hookup culture just because I cannot find you attractive or at least finding you physically attractive attractive is not enough for me to open up. I'm too rigid. I have to think you're intelligent and we have to have some kind of actual chemistry. And I Mm -hmm. I actually wish I wasn't like this. I really actually wish that I could have sex with anyone. How come? Um, Because all of the friends that I've known who have had the ability to just appreciate sex and appreciate the human body in a way where it doesn't really matter the person on the other end, I think have had super interesting and fulfilling sex lives that I think I would love 
to be able to explore. And, and I think I admire it. Like, you know who I'm talking about. We've had several friends who just loves the human body. They love genitals. They love sex and they can appreciate and worship it on anyone, even so far as to not even know the person at all. And I just, I can't do it. Mm. That's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. I, I definitely have struggled with the Demi thing because it, it's hard to explain, especially within polyamory, because so many people focus on the sexual aspect of connection within polyamory. And so if I have an established partner and we've had sex and then I just hit a mode where it's just not happening for me, there's immediately this like, oh, well, am I doing something wrong? Or are you yeah. really into this? Mm. I'm just like, no, no, I just, it's <laughs> Yeah. If yeah, this is how I do why, it. <laughs> yeah, if if I knew why, if I had a checklist, I would be sharing it. But I don't even know what flips the switch. It surprises me sometimes. I really actually love that. That's what you call that because that part I I, I resonate with. Where I'm like, oh, it's not there, and I just call I chalk it up to a lack of chemistry. But because our culture is the way it is, people are like, well, what can I do differently? What did I do wrong? And I'm like, I am not writing this script. If I was writing this script, I would have had my switch flipped. Trust me. It's just not working. And my body doesn't respond and I can't lie. Exactly. Exactly. Where it's just like, I, you know, for all intents and purposes, this should be absolutely lovely. And I'm just sitting here going, I'd rather be reading a book. <laughs> and I'm such a sexual person that it really confuses people. But back to what you said about people associate polyamory with sexuality. Somebody actually right before I logged on commented on one of my posts on Reddit talking about that. They're like, it's called polyamory, not polyhumpery. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm heavy on the amory part of polyamory. That is so I know. True. And that's what I we yeah. both love about you. Okay, so back to your identity. You have just gotten to demisexual. <laughs> yeah, that, that segues perfectly into what uh, me and my pod have just started describing as hyper romantic. Oh my God, that's so you. Mm. Because I can and will fall in love and do all the dramatic courtly things that go with that constantly every day. It made me so happy with the song that you chose for the opening of this podcast because that is it's 100% <laughs> one of my theme songs. It's like, yep, every day, every day. It's every a, day oh. I fall in love just a little, oh, a little bit with someone new. You know, um, I actually chose that song. And if you don't already know this, it's a hosier song. And the one on the front and back end of our podcast is being covered by our friend, Rachel McElhaney, whom we worship and adore and love. And I actually chose that song because when that song came out, Joe told me, babe, this song makes me think of you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> And then when I got to know that you were polyamorous over the years, you know, you kind of are so similar to her in, in many ways, but that way as well, where you've always been bubbling with this kind of amorousness about you. And, and I think being in the theater is something that lends itself to it. And it came out very naturally. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, it was one of those things where I'm very lucky that I got introduced to the concept of polyamory at a very early age before I was even a sexual thinking person at all. I was very, I was completely asexual all through high school. And I was in this writer's group. So I'm 16 years old. And there was this gal college age and she'd just been listening to my stuff and like my poetry and, you know, the stuff you write as a 16 year old. And she came up to me after one of our meetings and she just said, you are someone who is just 
always going to be in love and you're always going to be falling in love and you need to find a partner that can accept that. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. And so that was always in the back of my head and it's, it's been a thing of, it's like, yeah, nope, this is, this is who I am. And I tend to lead with it in all my relationships, including friendships, because I, you know, I loved when you were talking last episode about friend crushes, because I have romantic friendships where it's just like, yep, nope, nothing's ever going to happen. And we are aware of that because just the stars are not aligned, but I'm still showing up by your door with flowers on a bad day. Oh God. (laughs) It's so cute. And some people would be like, that just sounds like friendship. And it's like, yeah, but there's an energy to it. There's a romantic energy to it. And I think it's so medicinal for all parties. And I think there is a chunk of monogamous people who would actually be open to this if there was a script for it if there was a cultural narrative um, where both parties would genuinely be okay with the amorous friendships but currently there's not and it sucks because it's like half the population is of monogamous people are missing out on this lovely antibiotic (laughs) yeah absolutely and it's it's heart healing it's one of those things to be able to have a deep connection with someone that isn't at the same time triggering stuff for from the romantic ex, but still, you're still feeding those needs. You're feeding the touch need. You're feeding the words of affirmation or the grand gestures. Yeah. And it's within the safe space because you've already established the terms. It's again, one of the reasons that I feel like I was always wired for polyamory because that just is something you go into is you're going, these are my terms. This is how this works. This is my dynamic. This is what I know. And some people aren't as self-aware as they need to be. I certainly am always learning new things about myself and how I experience this. But I feel like within polyamory, it's much more of a normal thing to roll up to the first date going, so this is me. Here's a list of my traumas. Here's a list of my love languages. What are your expectations? Yeah. And you mentioned being hardwired for polyam. And that is something that I think is really, really cool. I mean, there are so many cool things about you. You know this, but... I especially love how natural polyam comes to you where you're a person who does not get jealous. Whereas Jessica and I talked about how in in a few episodes, how we have these jealous reactions. We recognize that's not how we want to be or show up and we address it and we fix it and move on. Whereas you do not experience jealousy at all. Like it just does not compute and you are a naturally compersive being. You are just happy for others being in love. Yeah, there's there's an in joke in my crowd that I'm the patron saint of compersion. Oh my god! <laughs> totally! Oh, I'm writing that down. That might be the title of the episode. That's the title, <laughs> easily. I feel like that's my version of super intense NRE is the compersion part of it because I get so invested in my other partner's new relationships and I want to wingman so hard and I'm doing the whole Cyrano de Bergerac and their text messages for them and I'm just like, you <laughs> never get a better wingman than me. I want to see this happen. I am shipping this. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that you might be the one person I would give the trophy of best wingman ever. I usually keep it for myself because I'm so good at it, but you are even better because you just naturally are so, <laughs> so pure. I love that about you. And if you're listening to this podcast and we are dropping polyam turns that you don't know, compersion is the state of happiness for your partner's happiness. 
even when it doesn't directly involve you in any way. It's a lot of times it's considered the opposite of jealousy. It's very much the goal of polyamory is to feel compersion when your partner has something good happen to them, specifically in the realm of romance with another partner. Which you are very good at. Yes. They are compersive in every area. So even if something non-romantic happened to someone that you love, you're not the type of person that would be jealous because it didn't happen to you. Correct. I, I get the, the closest I get to jealousy is I can get envious. I can be like, oh, I want that. But I feel like it's very self-contained. I tend to, my next reaction be, tends to be, so how can I go get that instead yeah. of ex- expecting it from the person that I, you know, was seeing that in. Oh, that's amazing. So back to your identity. Have we even made it halfway down this list? <laughs> I, I kept out the list that I sent you to so that I could keep okay, on track perfect. and I keep getting off track. Story of my life. So uh, along with the hyper-romantic, bi-romantic, I, I, I like, I like you no matter what the gender is. No matter, I like all the whole spectrum of it. I, I like really femme types. I like really butch types. I like really androgynous types. I just like type. <laughs> I you're, like, you're... If you are if you are secure in your identity and your presentation, that is the kind of sexy to me is being like, ah, look, a fully developed character. Yes, I will crush on you now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I feel like, honestly, I don't know the generation that comes after Gen Z, but I feel like Gen Z is like really embracing that. And then even younger, like pretty soon what you just described is going to be the cultural norm and I cannot fucking wait. It's so evolved. It's so yeah. spiritual. Ugh, it's amazing. It's like yeah. we're tra- transcending labels, which is a very Zen thing to do. Absolutely. I'm I'm a big fan of using labels to find your communities yes. and to find yes. people with similar yes. experiences so that you're not alone. But then the minute that it's a, a restrictive thing, it's it's time to let it go. Yes, It's that just was- not something that's serving you anymore. It's, you know, KonMari, that label. Does it bring you joy? No, yeah, just that done. perfectly said. I think there's one more, right? Of your yep. list? Well, yeah, disabled. Okay. So I have several issues and part of those issues uh, have me sometimes wheelchair bound. I have had chronic pain as long as I can remember and have been in some form of physical therapy, chiropractic, exercises my entire life. I've never known a day without pain. And I do feel like that very much informs how I move through the world. And it very much informs the type of people who want to date me. Uh, You know, and it just breaks my heart because your soul is so not in pain. Your soul is so amorous it's the opposite of that but your body's having a different experience and yeah that's hard that's super hard I love the way that you talk about it and the way that you've helped me to become better in my own ableist um, biases and I appreciate that about you so much um okay so talk about you briefly touched on this person in your poetry class but if you can a shortened like Reader's Digest version of your journey to polyamory into your curtain setup. So my first experience in polyamory was also my first queer experience. Hot. Very lovely. There was a lovely lady in a show I was doing who was in an open marriage and flirted, courted, hooked up. And that really opened the door to me be sh- being shown the entire polyamorous open marriage community that is in the Reno theater scene. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Pretty much synonymous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and 
it was that thing of it just clicked for me of that thing of okay so i've i've always had more than one best friend i've always imagined myself in more of a family dynamic than in a coupled dynamic it's always been very much commune seeking almost and so being introduced fully into polyamory and and non-monogamy and seeing all the different dynamics that could happen really just was a light bulb moment for me of like, oh, this is what I am wired for. And then I would be in relationships where it was just kind of casual and open, but the emotional level would shift a little bit. And I would find myself sitting on my couch between two guys that I was seeing who knew that I was seeing them and also had crushes on each other. And there was just this buzz to that and going, oh, I want, I want to form like a, a throuple with this. Like I want to make this, I want to make fetch happen. It did not. But very much seeing from the get-go that I wanted to be in long-term multi-people relationships. Knowing that, met my spouse and just right from the get-go was like, okay, I can be sexually monogamous. That's easy for me. I will always be falling in love with other people. So if <laughs> disclaimer. <that> is- <laughs> If that is okay, then we can continue, but that is not something I can or want to change. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. And it came with the caveat of, and if you, throughout our relationship, find yourself crushing on someone, wanting to pursue a relationship, then we'll talk and we will reestablish boundaries. And we had a everything but the sex polyamorous relationship with a best friend of his, and it was very intense to the point that we were planning on how we were going to help this guy raise his kids. And it was just this very lovely, genuine thing that unfortunately fell apart. And that was sort of our first experience of that together. And we moved to LA and he did not move with us. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of that dynamic. And then got, you know, we're here. We got married. You guys were there. You danced at my wedding. You got to find out I was engaged at your wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Right. And that was, and if I remember correctly, we were at your wedding and that's when we were kind of right on the cusp of becoming polyam ourselves. Oh, yeah? Yeah. New Year's Eve that year. That's right. That was right after your wedding was the first night that I ever spent with another lover. (gasps) I love it. Yeah, I think that was a moment where I had to shut down the conversation for a minute. I was like, all right, we're going to this wedding. We can stop talking about this for two minutes. Oh, how, <laughs> how, how the turntables. No, confession. I remember going to the bathroom at your wedding in order to sneak a sexy picture for my lover. Technically not in the wedding, so I guess that was fine. <laughs> yeah, no, you were, you, were, you were wonderful audience members. And I say audience members because we did get married on a stage. Correct. That's how the myself and the spouse are so yeah so we we did that and it was just always this kind of open thing of like okay well if you meet someone let me know and we'll talk and in the meantime he had been very supportive of the romantic friendships I had and you know we would get little spikes of jealousy here and there and would work through it and then we were at a ren fair and both got a massive crush on the same girl and we're just kind of like i mean we could flirt with her together (laughs) (laughs) and we did and it was so much fun and that's like it didn't get beyond a really some really good solid snogs it didn't get beyond that but that was enough energy that kind of tipped the scale for him that then we got back into town he's like i i think I think we should like actively 
<laughs> you know, on second thought, honey. Um, I have just experienced how this benefits me directly. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a polyamorous. Well, and I think it was also, I think it was also good because, you know, he, he's the first to say that he was a, a serial monogamist where it would just be like long, years and years long relationships, one after the other. And so even if he got a crush, even if he was feeling stuff, there wasn't knowledge of how I would actually react. And so I think both of us getting a crush on someone at the same time, both of us like not only wingmanning, but like tagging each other in on this flirt that was happening. Oh, God, that's so fun. <laughs> really, I think just made it be like, oh, this can actually be a dynamic between us, not just something that's us going outside yeah. of our marriage. Yeah. And it's not going to pull energy from our relationship. It's actually going to bring energy in. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we started our, our very first event. That was an official polyamorous meet and greet, get drinks type of event. We met a couple that we ended up in a four-year relationship with. We lived with them for three years, um, went our separate ways. And since then have developed other relationships, some relationships that were Purely romantic friendships are now my very serious polyamory relationships. And I now have five partners, <laughs> three of which are local and I'm about to move in with. We're, we're oh my God. How exciting. This is so exciting. Into like a big house. Yeah. Into a, yeah. Into a house with one of my metamors who I adore. And then I have, you know, my, my lovely long distance partner in Reno. And then what I've been calling my socially distanced partner here, here in LA, because we had had like a really good snog right before quarantine hit. And we're like, ah damn it yeah and so we've we've been doing a lot of online dates and that sort of thing for almost a year now and wow it meanwhile joe's over here going crazy because <laughs> because he can't touch his girlfriend for like it's been like three weeks <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow. yeah no i am i am pure, this this one socially distanced relationship i am running pure Purely off of one night of really good snogging on March 7th of last year. <laughs> like you do in a pandemic. That's, that's the last time we have touched. I caught a glimpse of some bare skin the other day and I almost collapsed. <laughs> onto the floor you know it, but it makes God. me it makes me so happy that it's so common in the polyamorous community to be having this experience where I feel like we all stepped up and didn't we weren't just selfish assholes well and yeah. you're immunocompromised so I mean you cannot take any kind of risk nope sure can't and you know the reason that I'm able to still be with the my two partners aside from my spouse is that everybody's at home and they literally live up the street so I walk over and so it's just like it's an extended household kind of bubble situation and soon it will be all in one household and I'll just have to walk across the hall and I'm really looking forward to that because I am domestic as fuck and just want to be in one place so this is really exciting and so you drew us you designed us <laughs> a graphic representation of your polycule yes I had to stop at the point of people I haven't met yet because <laughs> all of my partners have other partners. And do you want to explain the graphic to us? I mean, okay, so I'm I'm the center dot. 
<laughs> in that in that lovely uh, minty kind of green. Branching off, we've got myself and my spouse, and then my spouse's long distance relationship, who was also my college roommate and the other person who was polyamorous very early on and we would we could talk about it regularly and that was lovely and so she's my my sister witch as well okay um and they've i ship them so hard (laughs) (laughs) they are the flipping cutest and it's that thing you you posted on your tiktok the video of joe texting and i told i felt that conversion because i'll come in and i'll hear the way he answers the phone when she calls you're in love yeah yeah they cute they real cute and then branching off of her is her nesting partner then we go off of my girlfriend cat who we the joke is that we dated for about three years before we knew we were dating I can see two queer femmes doing that. That is so on brand for you. Queer problems. It was a clearly established romantic friendship. Like we were using that terminology. That was understood. And then after the you know previous long-term relationship I had been in broke up, it took me about like two dinners out with her to be like, oh, oh, you're you're like my girlfriend. <laughs> Oops. Cause like we were doing slumber parties and like again, like femme problems. You don't you don't really think about it. But when you're doing sleepovers that you're just totally entangled with each other and when you finally go, Oh, I think we're dating and both of your spouses go, duh. <laughs> just glad you finally figured it out. That is so Dummy. cute. That's so cute. Yeah. So we've been like officially, actually, purposefully dating for a year and a half. Okay. But the relationship itself is about four years old. Okay. And then her spouse, who I am also dating, and that was funny because, so I'm demisexual. He's demiromantic. So he has to be around someone for a long time before he catches feelings. And he doesn't catch them often. So our spouses were like having pools and eating popcorn over how <laughs> awkward <laughs> we were. Because it was just so many, uh, 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 no, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> That's so pure. It's just like, we're pretty solid now. Every now and then there's still a moment where we just roll our eyes at each other. And, and it's fine. And there's an understanding. And I was very happy to have the language that I had you know, he would be talking about it. And I was like, I think you're demi-romantic. I think, like, have you ever considered that? He goes, I don't know. I think it just makes me sound like a jerk. And it's like, no, I think, I think this is a thing for you and your experiences based off of your experiences. Because he and Kat have been polyamorous, I want to say 15 years. And their long-term, long-distance girlfriend, they just came up on a decade together. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, they're very experienced in in the polyamory thing, which was a comforting thing when Kat and I started dating because it was like, oh, you already have these very established relationships outside of me. So I know that that's part of your wiring because that was a wiring mis- connect with the other couple that we were with because they were very much wired for either swinging or like polyfidelity where it's like once there were big heavy feelings they weren't comfortable with big heavy feelings happening outside of the four of us Mm. and that's just not how em and i are wired at all as 
spouses were like, oh no, we're doing this mostly for the love stuff. <laughs> um, we're here for the Amory. I don't know how you can take yeah. something like that. It seeps through walls. Like I don't, mine doesn't do boundaries very well. Yeah. And I have met very like successful polyfidelitous relationships where it is a closed triad or a closed quad and they just, you know, they can hook up outside, but the feels stay in. And that seems to work for them. When you were in that relationship with you and your spouse and the other couple, did you guys explore outside of that dynamic or was it ever talked about or decided? Uh, we tried. It, it, that was very much where it's like, okay, so clear and concise language, polyamory 101. Everybody thought they knew what we were agreeing to. And then stuff just kept happening where it's like, oh, nope, nope, that's not, uh, oh, and just having to, it, it, it was very much a mismatch of styles. And if you don't have the proper language to talk about that, if you don't have ways of expressing it before something happens, then once things do happen, if somebody gets hurt, it's so much bigger and broader because there's this sense of betrayal. Even if all parties had no intention of betrayal, where everybody's just operating under what they thought were the rules. So speaking of different styles, I want to finish up this first half of the podcast real quick. Yeah. You talking about how different styles of polyamory can be practiced by the same person and how you are experiencing that right now. Absolutely. So I, I'm a big fan of kitchen table polyamory. I really enjoy getting to know and form relationships with my metas and, and getting to have that. But I also am dating people who have partners that I have never met. And so it's very much that adjacent or a constellation polyamory where, you know, there's people that I know, I know their names, I know a basic history, but I don't know anything else. And so far, that's fine. Like, so far, you know, I, I've just been like, oh, that is how that relationship is structured. And I don't feel this need to get to know them, even if I have a very strong relationship with the person that connects us. And I, I feel like people think that you either have to, everybody knows each other and everybody gets along and it's this big homogenous thing, or everybody r- runs parallel and kind of pretends the other person isn't there or just doesn't even really care. Yeah. And I'm doing both yeah. right now. So when it comes to someone who has a parallel style of polyamory where you don't know each other's partners and you might pretend like they don't exist. Do you have any red flags or things that you look for that would indicate to you that it's not a healthy polyamory? My biggest red flag is complete don't ask, don't tell. Yes, agreed. Where it's just like, oh, we're just never talking about it? Mm -mm, Nope, 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 nope. Because like, for example, my spouse and I, we don't get into the nitty gritty of what we're up to outside, but we do share the basics, especially if there's like health things we need to be aware of and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just, I, I'm not comfortable with the idea of nothing else exists outside of the room. Yeah, I agree. My spidey senses go up with don't ask, don't tell. For me, my red flag is deleting text messages. Oh, so gosh, if, I haven't even encountered that. Yeah. Uh, no, you. If I... If I find, and it's not even that I don't believe them that, you know, because a reason to delete text messages is that you don't actually have a don't ask, don't tell situation. You're just cheating. Yeah. Um, But even if it was true that the person genuinely had the consent of their partner, for me, it's the hiding me and the deleting and the, again, what you just said that this nothing exists outside of this room. It does not work for me. It's a red flag that the people aren't 
really into what they're doing and that they probably don't have a communication level required where this is not going to blow up in their face and therefore my I'm going to get shrapnel (laughs) from that so yeah absolutely yeah the minute the minute I'm asked to keep a secret I get red flags Mm. but the minute it's like don't tell so and so I was with this person I'm like why yeah if you have to lie to go on a date with me but it's under the guise of well it's don't ask don't tell so I have to make up where I'm going. That doesn't work for me. Y'all might want to check out swinging or something like that. But but like, this is not what I'm about. I'm, I'm here for the relationships. And I feel like you can't build a relationship if you don't know where you stand within that. So I want to nitpick a little bit when you were saying that you have some parallel situations that it's working for now. Does it seem like that could be temporary? Like it's not something that is sustainable in the end for you? I assume everything is temporary is kind of my <laughs> point of view i love that and that ties into the death doula stuff coming up yeah. <laughs> it really is like that tells you a lot about me i yeah i assume everything is temporary and so i try very hard not to speak in absolutes especially in polyamory because you can easily get trapped into the oh but you said you never or you said you wouldn't ever or you said you would always and it I've just come across too many discussions like that, both within my own polyamory experiences and with talking with other people who are, you know, navigating polyamory. And so I just, I try, only a Sith deals in absolutes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, this is actually the perfect segue. We're going to take a super quick break. It's 45 seconds. Then when we come back, Laura says they have a story to tell about me and Joe that you were inspired to tell after listening to episode six, the last episode. So we'll come back with that story. Then we're going to get into your work as a death doula and how that ties into polyamory for you. And we're going to talk about monogamy brain during NRE, which is something that you don't, you are not wired for. We'll be right back. You're listening to Remodeled. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So we're back, episode seven of Remodeled with Laura, the patron saint of conversion. And you have a story to tell about me and Joe that you were inspired to tell after listening to the last episode. So go ahead. I'm, yeah. I have no idea what it is. Neither do I. Uh, so a little quick background, just because it does affect the stories. When I was listening to the last podcast and you were telling about how you met and how you got together, I kept just being like, I was there. <laughs> I was in the audience of the utility players when there was five of us in the audience. That's right. That is completely true. Yeah. And at that time, I was single, but I am a very touch oriented person and I get very easily touch starved and it affects my sleep disorders and really messes up my life. And so Joe and I had an understanding. I had been upfront about having a crush on him. He had been upfront about not feeling that way in return, but was totally cool with cuddles and things. Yeah. And so we just had this agreement of it's like, okay, so we can have this cuddle buddy type of relationship pretty much until one of us ends up dating somebody who's not cool with it, which was 
baffling to some of our friends, especially in our writers group. They did. So you guys are dating? No, no, we're just, it's just. (laughs) So cute. He's cozy to lean on. I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So you two started dating. And I was all for it because, Jess, I do not know if you remember this, but I actually filled out an application to go on a date with you at one of your stand-up shows. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is like seriously more than a decade ago when I did (laughs) stand-up comedy. That's fucking funny. That's right. I had applications to date me. It was a bit. Oh, my God. You just pulled this memory out of the depths of the abyss of my mind. Okay. Yes, I remember. So I I thought you were both cute. Crushed hard on both of you. And so seeing you guys together was awesome because it just, it fit. It's like that starfish story. It fit. You guys clicked into place. So I was over at your place. I was having a rough night. And so I was sitting in the uh, smoking circle (laughs) with you guys and just feeling awful. And you two were cuddling on the couch. And out of nowhere, you went, Joe, Laura looks sad. Will you give them a shoulder rub? (laughs) And sent him over to me. So that I could get that touch. And it was just like, okay, from now on, I love this human. (laughs) (laughs) From now on, I love this human. Yeah, because I- Go give them a back rub. Yeah, I felt not only seen, but also having that dynamic that I had with Joe very much respected and honored in that moment, that it was such a public room full of people consent given right then. Oh, that's a really sweet memory. Yeah. And also I'm the best. No, <laughs> no that's, that's, I, I agree. No, that's, I'm, that makes me so happy. What a sweet little vignette of time to yeah. capture the spirit of the day lovers. That's so sweet. Oh, I'm glad that you remember and that's that. That's a nice follow-up to last yeah. episode. Yeah. Thanks, Lore. Yeah. Um. So let's get dark. Yep. I love. And you know, when you were talking about your identity, I noticed you left off burlesque dancer and witch, (laughs) which are two of my favorite pieces of your identity. There's a reason we call you side witch. (laughs) This is true. This is true. Um, And I feel like in many ways, both of those things are deeply connected to your path that the pandemic really brought you this year. You are now an official certified death doula. So tell us what a death doula is. So a death doula is a person who holistically bridges the gap between the death experience as it happens physically, medically, legally, and spiritually. So they are present and hold space for what that transition looks like, not only for the person dying, but for those left behind. That was just what I was about to say. It's it's an emotional shepherd, not just for the dying, but also the family. Yeah. And it's sort a utility player of sorts in the sense that you're feeling into the energy of the situation because death is a reality. Check. Absolutely. And death Absolutely. pulls us out of the uh, death pulls us out of the illusion of the matrix and mm-hmm. into the fact of the truth that we are not in control. No. That none of us are getting out of here alive. Nope. Life's a fatal disease. So tell me about what you love about death work. For me, it's very much getting to hold that center line and getting to hold people and go, you're doing everything right. Mm-hmm. You are are grieving right you you know and just giving that permission because we in america it is such a death negative hide it 
don't talk about it type of culture. And that's not what my early childhood culture was, where my dad's from in South America. Like people still put on mourning colors when somebody has passed away. We lived down the street from a cemetery. And my brother and I thought they were parades because people would be carrying the coffin and they would be blasting music. That was the person's favorite music and everybody's wearing purple. And we thought it was a parade. It was not a parade. Having that and then really going to my first couple of like memorial services and funerals where my mom's side of the family is Irish. And so we definitely aren't quiet about it. And there's a wake afterwards and a party and then starting to be around for the depth within my friend circles and realizing that this was not an experience that everybody had, that everybody had much more of the, you have to be strong, you have to be dignified, you can't talk about it, we're going to make the dead look like they're just asleep, and we're going to put makeup on it, literally, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and just, there was this dissonance for me, right away, of like, but, but you need to sing, and you need to cry, and you need to get into a stupid fight with someone, and somebody needs to be making out in the corner, you're, you're missing out on all these things, Yeah. And then was present for several actual deaths within my family and just realized I was comfortable there. Wow. Oh, God, that's so beautiful. Ugh. You know, where it's like, it was the first time in my life that I knew exactly what I was doing and didn't question it and had full confidence. My grandfather passed and I happened to be in town when it happened. And we had an actual wake with him in his room. Yeah. Because he passed in his sleep on a beautiful day and just all the family coming in and out. And I was just running up and downstairs with water, with tissues and bringing people in and making sure everybody had been called, everybody. And just it's just what I was doing. I wasn't even trying to keep myself busy. It just felt like the right thing to do to the point that his hospice nurse turned to my mother at one point and were like, oh, are they are they in hospice? Do they do this too? <laughs> so, you know, she saw, she saw the death doula in me <laughs> and just have always been a bit of a morbid person, just fascinated by death and death cultures and traditions and found out that this was a career that people actually did. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of my nerd topics. I remember <laughs> the first time that I told my current boyfriend, I would I wanted to tell him something else, but the context I had to explain beforehand was that I really like talking about death. <laughs> I think he responded with, you're a very fascinating person. <laughs> I'm going to borrow that line. It's yeah, a good one. <laughs> totally. And I just think death is metaphysically very powerful. I could write an entire PhD thesis on how it is the thing that rules over us always in everything. And I'm sure we'll get there, but I have a lot of theories about how monogamy in many ways is attempting to hide the possibility of death in a love story, the yep. death of the love story. So if I can put some boundaries around this and rules around this, and we can make vows that have infinities in them, then I can possibly keep this alive. Anyway, we'll get there. But anyway, it's a topic that you and I love nerding out about together. And I did spend one week in LA in an intensive death midwifery training program. And I just knew it wasn't for me. Yeah. It's just like, it's something that I can understand. I can nerd out about. I can even step in and maybe play the role sometimes when I, if I were ever needed to. But when I talk to you and I do look at your spirit, just like that nurse 
who's that hospice nurse who saw it in your soul. I agree completely. It is so obvious to me that it's a role that you, the universe built you to play. And it's such an extreme honor. I think the person I admire most in this world is my midwife, my birth midwife. She caught my first baby and will be catching my second baby here in six more weeks. But even more so is the work of the death doula. It's, you know, on the one hand, the birth midwife has a lot more risk (laughs) because they're trying to prevent death. Their job is a life and death situation. Your job is just a death situation. (laughs) And I do want to specify that I'm a death doula and not a dead death midwife because death death midwifery has medical training yes, involved correct. and I that's not where my path is mine is very much more on the spiritual journey and more of the practical I was the one person in my death doula class who was like teach me everything about the paperwork I want to do the paperwork and because- that's why it's so perfect for you and it brings yeah. in a lot of your theater skills as well it's stage managing it's production assistance you yeah. know But yes, it's just so obvious that your higher self in the pre-existence, which is a Mormon concept that I love, by the way, that your spirit was like, I'm going to do this job, the most important one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fucking rad. And I cannot wait to see you expand fully into that. And honestly, I hope you get to walk me to my death someday. It would be an absolute honor to do so. Well, you had some exciting news for us on this front recently. Yes. So the program that I trained in, which is called Going With Grace with Alua Arthur. I can't recommend it enough. It was such an extensive and detailed program and so empowering because I didn't know all the different ways you could be a death doula. And there are so many different ways. It is such a varied field that is still being born at the moment. And so I, I did the class, I graduated and I have been invited to be a student guide. So I will get to have little baby death doulas and and get to chat with them if they get stuck. You're gonna doula get... the doulas. You're a meta doula. <laughs> meta doula. And that's very it was it was a very validating email to get. Congratulations. That yeah. is so freaking Thank cool. You. When you called to tell us, I believe my exact words were congratulations and also you would. Yes. <laughs> that was that was your exact reaction and one of the reasons for me calling because you you've both been there for this whole journey. And I I love having you guys as a milestone marker for me to be like, and I did this now. And you know. Yeah, it's fucking rad, man. So uh, let's get nerdy for a minute. I want you to tell me how polyamory and death work connect for you. I'm so here for this. I can give a recent real life example. Oh my God, please. So, and this is the entire reason I enrolled in the course. So my metaboo, Dan, gorgeous human, future roommate, his partner had cancer and a very aggressive one. And she fought tooth and nail and gorgeous, radiant person who I didn't get to know very well because she was well in her diagnosis by the time I kind of rolled up into cat's polycule and she passed and I just immediately fell back into the role and was taking care of Kat as she grieved and was looking after and was checking in. I start, Dan and I have a separate text message that's all just puns. And so I started sending these really elaborate shaggy dog story puns to him every single day, just as like a check-in thing. And then they did an online memorial service. And the very front of it was Dan saying, well, anybody who knew her knew that she 
was full of love. And part of that was that she was an ethical non-monogamous. So you are going to hear from her partners today. Oh, wow. Mic drop. And so my girlfriend, Kat, got to speak. And it was, it was so beautiful to see it out in the open and to see everybody grieve openly and have them know the depth of that grief. The the group of her partners have nicknamed themselves the Hot Widows Club. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cute. And nicely literary. Well done. Yeah. And and I watch and I witness this group and I helped them prepare some rituals after her passing too. And it was just such a unique thing because you think about somebody being widowed. And the first thing you think about is how alone they are in their grief and nobody oh. understands the depth oh. of their grief. Oh. Yeah. And here was a group of people that they could all look at each other and go, I know, I know exactly. I miss that too. I wish this too. I'm angry too. And know that it was genuine. And it was just, it was this huge moment of me of like, I, if nothing else, need to do this training and get properly certified so that I can find other queer polyamorous people and let them know that this is something they can do and that they can honor the full scope of their life in their death as well. Wow. Speechless. I love you so much. And it, you know, we talk so much about polyamory and parenting and how polyamory, you know, people think they don't go together, but actually polyamory makes parenting 10,000 times better. And now after hearing that polyamory makes death 10,000 times better. Yeah. And it's it witnessing a group of people be able to grieve and also hold each other because of a shared love with an intensity that I had not seen before was just and continues to be so beautiful and hard and so worthy of celebration and so worthy of being part of the polyamory conversation that of course we don't want to talk about death again this death denial culture you don't want that part of the love story but it is because everything ends and isn't it so much better that when an ending comes to have someone there going my ending too damn well, <laughs> here I was thinking we were just going to talk about like the metaphysics of death and how that ties loosely kind of into what you said about everything ends and polyamory really honors that things are transient and ending and flowing. But then you just went and dropped that on us. And uh, Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. And you're welcome. That's the line right there. Uh, that was fucking beautiful, man. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting some kind of like respect the end sort of just general commentary and to get it in motion in a story like that just makes it land. And can I please state officially as part of my death file slash advanced directive that if I die tomorrow or anytime in the near future, will you please have an entire section of speeches from my lovers (laughs) (laughs) and like, let that be known? Cause that's really beautiful. That's really beautiful to not just be like that person's a friend but to actually allow everyone bearing witness to know that Jess was full of love and these are all of the people that she loved. Yeah, super proper. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And also, I really do want to sit down with you two and do your advanced directive. So please. let's, let's Bitch, that. Bitch, do you please. think that I do not have mine? I, I think you have yours. I'm not so sure about him over there. <laughs> you know what? And honestly, I'm ashamed that I've even dropped the ball. And I'm supposed to, three people are supposed to have your advanced directive. And I don't think, I, if I died tomorrow, I don't even think you would know where to find it. I would not. Okay, so we have homework to do. I don't even want to go on to our next topic because that... This is the natural. Yeah. We need to respect the end. And I'm telling you right now that energetically, Ugh. this is the end of this episode right here. So you're going to have to come back. Maybe we'll do like a special side episode uh, where we talk about getting monogamy brain during NRE, but this was phenomenal. Yeah. Maybe we'll have some really cool updates when you, with your guys's new housing situation at that yeah. point in time. I'm excited for you to move in and have a, it's like my communal dreams uh to be living yeah. it's it's like full house you know as problematic yeah. as that show was they were on to something <laughs> yeah well and it's it's that thing of it the joke is you know monogamy in this economy you know like the only way you can even start to rent a house in la is if you have a five-person polycule so <laughs> so we're doing that yeah i mean it's very subversive i mean that's one of the draws for it it for me is that it helped it helps you share resources absolutely hell yeah and the fact that there may be amorousness and possibly sex across the hallways in all directions i While mean that's just here, guys that I just mean... sounds like a better roommate situation to me i mean it's you know it's that all cards on the table you don't have to worry about will they won't leave it's just did our google calendar sync up <laughs> <laughs> all right you have a great death doula tiktok that is going viral viral and people should follow you because your personality is fantastic and the content you produce is fantastic so do you want to drop that tiktok handle yeah it's death talk t-o-k lore l-o-r-e death talk lore lore thank you so much for being our friend for the last 12 years thank you for being mine for witnessing our growth and for allowing us to be a part of yours and thank you for what you do for the culture and for your partners and for all of the spirits who get to know you at that last moment of the departing. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been wonderful being on here. I've been enjoying listening to it. And I very much looking forward to continuing to witness your journey as you take over the world one <laughs> lover at a time. <laughs> well, we just love you so much and are fortunate to know you. And it's just so cool that uh, to kind of cap it all off, it's just you are naturally who you are and you've always been that way and it's always been just kind of flowing out. And so thanks. I like your style. And I enjoy helping you take sexy photos for Joe. Yeah, that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I'd like to thank you all so much for listening to Remodeled. You can find us on Instagram. My main profile is Home Slice Productions. You can also find us on Instagram at Remodeled Love. TikTok, Home Slice Productions, YouTube. You can just search Jessica Levity. If you're listening to this and you want to be a part of us continuing to make content, you can find us patreon.com slash Home Slice Productions. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. I want to give a shout out to our executive producers, Home Slice Productions, that is me, and Amy Stashik Morg. And you can email in anonymously if you want homesliceproductions.com slash remodeled and just fill out the form at the bottom. Thank you so much for listening. It is possible to redefine love. You're listening to Remodeled. I fall in love just a little, a little bit in.